So labels have a very specific structure. Um, you're going to be saying, it seems like, it sounds like, it looks like, it feels like. You can use it or you can use you. It is neutral. It's where you should probably stay when you're starting to use the skills because it is neutral. You can use you and it's, it's definitely more engaging, but if you're not really very careful about the tone of voice that you have, using you cannot go very well for you if you're not careful. So you can say, it seems like you're angry, or you can say, you seem angry. The you that I just said was very accusatory. People don't respond well to that. So it's better if you just stick with it in the beginning until you're dealing with somebody who you know for sure feels a certain way and you can say it without that little sarcastic kind of accusatory tone in your voice. Now, when you're using labels, actually, I don't know why we just have this on the label slide because it's using any of our skills. Do not use the word, but after you say something because it is an erasing word. So everything you say after the word, but erases everything you said before it. So if you say, you know, um, you seem angry, but you really don't need to be. You just erase that perfectly good label by, by, by saying the word but. If you use the words and or because, you're actually either explaining the label or you're stepping on it. So what you need to do instead of actually putting one of those words in there after you use a really good label or even after a mirror, you want to just go quiet. Okay. Let it, let the person process what you just said. Don't erase it or explain it right away. One thing I want you to remember through this process is if you are explaining, you're losing. Okay. So when you use our skills, you don't want to explain them. You want to like drop them. It's like dropping the mic. You just put it out there and let it sit. Okay. I want to get into. Oh, I, 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 know, got, I got something I want to interject for at some point. In oh time, no, go ahead. I get a lot of questions. I've always, not a lot, you know, but there's always questions from guys. Can we use labels and mirrors and tactical empathy in dating in our personal and our social lives? And I'm hearing this rumor lately that more women are using it in their personal lives with men in order to gain the upper hand. And I don't know if there's anybody that could speak to that, but uh, I, I'm sure there is some. There's a woman in the audience who I had dinner with tonight who was asking for advice along these lines with the guy who she's dating. And after dinner, I just sent her the link because this is exactly what she's looking for to apply it in that situation. All right, very good. Chris, I have something to say. <clears throat> Sorry, I just sound like I smoked a pack of 12 cigarettes. Um, <laughs> I uh, recently, being that we met in real life, I was like, I actually need to read his book. And I was texting Nicole that I was taking notes and I wish I had read this book a long time ago, but <laughs> I kind of was like, I want to see how this would affect me in relationships. And recently there was a couple of dates that I went on with men and nothing really bad happened, but it kind of fizzled out. So, or maybe they weren't being assertive enough or they would make plans or they would get busy or they would cancel. So there was one point in your book where you talked about sending out an email and it wasn't, it wasn't rude. It was just direct, but you would gain an emotional response from the person. And I believe, uh, the email said, 
um, have you given up on this project? <laughs> so I told Nicole, I'm going to try this. So what I did was I catered it to some of the men that I, I would have loved to went on another date with. So I said, Hey, have you, have you given up on wanting to get to know me? And the strangest thing happened is every single one of those men responded to me and they started telling me how they felt. And I, I would say back to them, I'm sorry, you were really busy. And I would try to get them on the phone because I think talking on the phone is better, but I slowed down my tone of voice and I just kind of presented it back to them and it worked. And guess what? I have two dates next week. So I'm trying to use it for the good, but Chris, you're getting me more dates on the book. So thank you. Congratulations. You're using your powers for good and not evil. <laughs> thank you. This is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you think you're reading a book on business negotiation because that's the category that it's in, but you're really learning how to communicate and how, how to get life to go your way. And that's something we all want. And like I said before, it gives you a sense of agency and control and that makes you feel good and it's good for your mental health. So Chris, I love that you brought that up. And Brianne, I, I love that you're actually using this in your dating life. It makes me so happy and, and honestly motivates me to do it as well. I was telling um, Leah Lamar, who's on the stage with us, when I saw her Saturday that, that you were doing some of this stuff and she's like, wait, I need to learn. We all need to learn. Uh, also, welcome Rembrandt and Leah to the stage. So grateful to have you. Remember, you don't get in life what's fair, you get what you negotiate. If you want to become a better negotiator, click the link in the description below. This video is about labels, the ultimate negotiation tool. Sometimes we think of it as the ultimate MacGyver tool. What makes it a MacGyver tool? Well, a MacGyver tool is really simple and incredibly effective, ridiculously effective. To do your labels right, you gotta keep them simple. Stick to the format. It seems like, it sounds like, it looks like. You seem, you sound, you look. We have a great negotiator that loves to say it feels like. Stick to that simple format. We're intentionally leaving the word I out. I is a thought interrupter, a pattern interrupter. When you use the word I, it draws attention to yourself. It interrupts the other side's thinking and you're using labels to gather information. We know from negotiation that you add this to gather information. The crazy thing is, asking questions is not always the best way to gather information. Labels work well more of the time than asking questions do. Labels trigger stream of consciousness reactions. You might say to somebody, what are you thinking about this? You might label them instead and say, seems like you're giving this a lot of thought or it seems like you're thinking about something here or it seems like you saw some things you like either one of those is going to trigger a much more unvarnished flow of thoughts from the other side one of the people who's really learned this stuff and is doing a great job of applying this in a real estate area calls it unlocking the floodgates of truth talk happens to be a woman that's applying this and seeing the insights and not the least bit surprising because women have a tendency to pick this stuff up faster than men do. That doesn't mean men can't be great at it also, just that for whatever reason, women seem to get a head start on understanding this and applying it really quickly. This is emotional intelligence-based negotiation. 
One of the crazy things about this is that when Brandon and I brought these hostage negotiation techniques out of hostage negotiation into the business world, we didn't think labels were that big of a deal. I can tell you now that we both use them so much that we can work our way entirely through a negotiation only using labels. When you get good at them, you respect their simplicity and you apply them, you can use them all over the place. One of the main things that makes labels incredibly versatile is the fact that all three types like them a lot. We've done a lot of polling. We've got a lot of reason to believe that the world pretty much breaks up into three types, assertives, analysts, and accommodators, across the board, regardless of gender or ethnicity. We probably polled at least 2,000 people in this regard. We've got a fair amount of data. And in polling all these people, and in different classes where we've talked, we frequently run exercises where we ask them, of the nine negotiation skills, which skills would you most prefer your counterpart use with you in order to make a great deal with you? All three types pick labels as number one or number two. So while you're still trying to get a feel for the other side and draw a beat on what type they are, labels will always be your highest percentage shot at the very beginning when you're proceeding. And then if you find out that they resonate really well with labels, you just simply stick to them. It's your safest bet. And the way you go from being barely good enough to get by to being a superstar is just by increasing your odds a little bit at a time. Labels increase your odds. Get good at them. Practice them simply. Practice every day. Get your reps in. And they will serve you well. How much practice should you get in? An hour a day. Make an hour label hour. Label at noon. Label over lunch. Label from 7 to 8 every day. Whatever time it is. Get your practice in. Make a cheat sheet of labels. Keep it by your phone. Your cheat sheets should especially include labels of negative dynamics. Fill in a blank. It seems like you hate X. It seems like you dislike X. It seems like X is a problem for you. Have those fill in a blank labels by your phone. Have them ready. They will serve you well. I'm going to proceed on the idea that everybody at least understands how to construct a label or a mirror. Labels, it seems, it sounds, it looks, you see me sound, you look. A mirror is a repetition of the last one to three words-ish or specific selection. Once you get good at the last one to three words, you start picking one to three words out of different portions of the conversation of mirror. So everybody's going to pick two things they're passionate about. Everybody's going to pick two things they're passionate about. It doesn't matter what those things are. They could be food. They could be dogs. They could be bunny rabbits. I know you're passionate about bunny rabbits. Doesn't matter what those two things are. You will pair up with someone next to you. One of you will be the talker, the other person will be the negotiator. The negotiators ask two what questions. What are you passionate about? I'm passionate about puppies. What about puppies makes you passionate? That's your second what question. Every response from the negotiator from that point on is a label or a mirror only. <laughs>
It's not, oh, I have puppies growing up. I set it on fire. You know, whatever you did when you were a kid. No sharing of common experiences. Because that's not a label or a mirror. And then when we pair you up and you start out, one of you is a negotiator and the other is a talker, stay in role until we ask you to switch out. If someone is not particularly comfortable with the skills yet and they say, okay, I did this long enough, now let's talk about your passion. Now, we don't want you to do that. We have a very specific sequence going here. These are our reps. How many reps to get a skill? 63. These are our reps. This is the low stakes practice. This is the no stakes practice. Small stakes practice for high stakes results. Here's what it'll look like. Brandon's gonna be the negotiator and Derek is gonna be the talker. So at the beginning, you're gonna be able to ask two questions to get you started. And from there forward, it's gonna be only labels and mirrors. So after you label four, after I have done four or five labels with Derek, then we will start pointing to people in the room to continue the conversation with Derek. So once you get pointed at, you gotta come up with a label or mirror. A great way to get picked is to look away. All right, so uh, two questions at the very beginning. First question, what's your passion? Uh, coaching basketball. Coaching basketball. And then second question, what about coaching basketball makes you passionate? Uh, it, it provides me an opportunity with providing a positive male role model in the lives of guys that don't have it. Guys that don't have it? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, uh, the, coach, the uh, community that I coached in a couple of years ago was a, um, a, an immigrant community, um, single parent homes, mostly led by women. Uh, a lot of times the guys that were on my team were the, were the oldest male in the house, so a lot of responsibility had been thrust upon them. And as a result, some of them, uh, straight off the straight and narrow, unless they were provided an opportunity to participate in organized sports, that's where I came in. It sounds like in a lot of ways, these kids are kind of missing out on life. Yeah, yeah I think so. I mean, I was, in, I was in their spot, so to speak, when I was coming up. I, didn't, I grew up in a house that didn't have a father. Um, in fact, he could walk through those doors right now and I wouldn't know it was him. That's how early in my life that he left. So I was raised by a, a, a mother who had a heart of gold and she worked very hard, but she didn't, she couldn't provide me with that male influence that I needed. And, but by the grace of God, I could have gone elsewhere. Sounds like you learned how to be pretty self-sufficient at an early age. I had to, you had to grow up fast. And uh, the things that were out there that snatched me off the streets, figuratively speaking, have been multiplied tenfold now uh, with these guys. So I know that they're either gonna wind up dead, they're going to wind up incarcerated, or they're going to wind up like the next Shirley. Sounds like you really feel for the fact that what they're missing out on really isn't any fault of their own. It's not. And so for the two hours that I get them every day between the months of November and March, it provides me with an opportunity to um, provide them with some life skills that'll make them better men. Because I think as a, as a male adult, 
it's incumbent upon me to do that. Label or mirror? Label or mirror? I want you to say it looks like, it seems like, it sounds like, and then give me what it looks like, seems like, sounds like. Intuitively, you know what to say. Now I want to make you say it. It looks like this is really important. Yeah, it is important to me. Let's face it. These guys are going to get their life lessons from somewhere. And if they're not getting it from me, they're going to get it from somebody in the streets. And then the people in the streets are usually going to send them in the wrong direction. Direction. Label or mirror? Mirror. Wrong direction? Into the mic. Wrong direction? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier they could wind up incarcerated or they could wind up like Shirley. And as an adult, again, my job is to make sure that nobody else becomes a Shirley. Label or mirror? It sounds like Shirley's important to you. I, I, I wasn't following that part. I had a legitimate question. What, what do you mean when you say Shirley? I didn't ask you to ask a question. I want you to label or mirror. Any question that you can ask can sound like Shirley? a mirror. Great. Yeah, Shirley was a uh, young lady I met. She was seven years old at the time that I met her. And um, Shirley was a crack baby, which means when her mother was pregnant, she was continuing to ingest cocaine. Shirley was born addicted to cocaine. And she had this, the requisite uh, behavioral and cognitive issues that a baby addicted to cocaine would. So she was way behind in her development. They put her into foster care because the mother was not, the mother was not obviously competent to raise the child. So Shirley was put into foster care and that's when I met her, label and mirror. And you met her where? Not a question. Label or mirror. Any question that you can ask can be turned into a label. So it looks like, it seems like, it sounds like. Sounds like you had a great opportunity to, to, to run into this little girl at one time, and it meant a lot to you. Subsequently, yeah, it, it was a great opportunity. At the time, I didn't see it as such. Because when I met her, her foster mother's boyfriend had taken the bottom end of a cane and shoved it in her mouth and broke her teeth out because she spilled toothpaste on the floor. And so when I think about my responsibility to the youth of today, it starts with how I saw Shirley the night that she was on the gurney in the hospital and I'm taking photographs of her injury. And this little girl that has had everything done to her is laying on the gurney showing me some cigarette burns on her forearm and she still had enough sunshine in her to, to smile and I said and I still have her picture on my desk with that smile and I said if this kid can go through all of that she needs a fighter and so my job is to fight for all the Shirley's of the world label or mirror it sounds like you believe this program can really make a difference in children's lives well it's it's a leap but my basketball program by extension will lessen the opportunity for kids to fall through the cracks, either into jail or to have their lives impacted in a, other negative ways. Now, I'm going to stop there. You guys see how much information you can gather by just using labels and mirrors. If you will imagine the X that I stood on the floor represents, I like coaching basketball, right? 
How far off of that X did you move me? When I first said I like coaching basketball, figuratively or literally, some of you rolled your eyes and said, oh, another, another jockhead. Another guy who's going to start talking about the virtues of Steph Curry. Right? But what did you learn about me? Travis said, I grew up without a father. What else did you learn? Specifically, what did you learn? That I help youth. Good. What else did you learn? I have a very big heart. Do I sound like somebody you want to do business with? Absolutely. A lot of behavioral things, how you respond to things. What do you mean? Uh, given a difficult situation, you took it and turned it into a positive. Good, good. What else did you learn? Want to give back. What else did you learn? Respect your mother. I respect my mother. What else? What inspired, you? What inspired me, uh, Monica said. So the point is, you moved me off the X, you know a lot about me. Character-wise, behavior-wise. How much information did you give me? How much do I know about you? Nothing. Just using labels and mirrors. That's how strong they work. That's how powerful they are. So that's what you guys are going to replicate in your one-to-ones. is labels. So labels have a very specific structure. Um, you're going to be saying, it seems like, it sounds like, it looks like, it feels like. You can use it or you can use you. It is neutral. It's where you should probably stay when you're starting to use the skills because it is neutral. You can use you and it's, it's definitely more engaging, but if you're not really very careful about the tone of voice that you have, using you cannot go very well for you if you're not careful. So you can say, it seems like you're angry, or you can say, you seem angry. The you that I just said was very accusatory. People don't respond well to that. So it's better if you just stick with it in the beginning until you're dealing with somebody who you know for sure feels a certain way and you can say it without that little sarcastic kind of accusatory tone in your voice. Now, when you're using labels, actually, I don't know why we just have this on the label slide because it's using any of our skills. Do not use the word, but after you say something because it is an erasing word. So everything you say after the word, but erases everything you said before it. So if you say, you know, um, you seem angry, but you really don't need to be. You just erase that perfectly good label by, by, by saying the word but. If you use the words and or because, you're actually either explaining the label or you're stepping on it. So what you need to do instead of actually putting one of those words in there after you use a really good label or even after a mirror, you want to just go quiet. Okay. Let it, let the person process what you just said. Don't erase it or explain it right away. One thing I want you to remember through this process is if you are explaining, you're losing. Okay. So when you use our skills, you don't want to explain them. You want to like drop them. It's like dropping the mic. You just put it out there and let it sit. Okay. 
So what exactly are labels? So labels are essentially verbal observations. They are whatever you're seeing or picking up from the other side. So it could be their motivations, the circumstances that they're in, the dynamics of the situation that you're both involved in. It could be their emotions. It's you interpreting. So when you're using a label, you can do what we call a surface label, which is what's presenting. In other words, usually what's presenting when you're dealing with someone else is whatever emotion that they're feeling. Because a lot of times you can see it in their body language, you can see it or feel it in what they're saying. So um, if you label that surface element, it's not a bad thing to do, but it's better if you can use a deeper label, which is trying to maybe get to the why behind the behavior. So say you have a friend who is arguing with their spouse. And so when you start talking to them, you say, it seems like you hate arguing with your spouse. And then their thought is, well, yeah, of course I hate arguing with my spouse. Who doesn't hate arguing with their spouse? That was a dumb thing to say. Instead of going for that surface label, which is not horrible, go for a deeper label and say something like, it seems like you get irritated when you and your spouse don't see eye to eye. It's just a little bit deeper. It doesn't take much, just a slight shift to get you from the very surface, you hate arguing with your spouse, to the deeper kind of why behind it. Seems like you get irritated when you and your spouse don't see eye to eye. Okay. You can label negatives or you can label positives. If you label negatives, it actually diffuses them. Shh, I got off mochi. If you notice something negative that's happening in the room and you ignore it, it's like not pointing out the elephant that's right there that everybody knows is there, but no one's saying anything about it. And if you leave it there, it just tramples around everything. If you point it out, if you just go ahead and say, there's that elephant in the room, you're going to actually diffuse it. You're going to mitigate it. You're going to take away its power. So labeling the negative is not a bad thing. Um, I mean, you can talk about someone's emotion as being negative. You know, well, it really seems like you're angry. And if the anger is something that's that's kind of clouding what's going on with you and your conversation and you see that, you can label that. It actually just points it out, gets that negative out there and actually then diffuses it. One of the reasons it works so well is because you're demonstrating an understanding of the other side. Okay, you're letting them know that you see this negative thing and then you're helping them kind of diffuse it. You can label positives and that actually reinforces them. And this kind of goes along with um, neuroscience, basically. If, if I, um, I'm dealing with my daughter and she goes out with her friends and she comes home and I realize that she's in a really, really good mood, I'm going to label that. I'm going to say, seems like you had a really good time with your friends. And what happens when I say that is she goes back to that point in time where she was out with her friends and she was having a really good time and it releases endorphins and gives her this little sense of euphoria. So it's reinforcing that positive time that she had and it's bringing up all these nice positive things. So when you're labeling that positive thing, it's actually reinforcing it. Absolutely. And speaking of the negotiation nine, how are ASCII labels more effective than direct questions in real estate? 
That's a great question. So an asking label in um, the Black Swan Group, an asking label is essentially picking out the, the emotion, the dynamic, and verbalizing it. It's using your intuition. And in real estate, and this will, this kind of connects to the the unfortunate problem that we have in this industry of getting to yes, where everybody wants yes, so we all just strive for yes. Um, if we change, if we do that two millimeter shift, and we instead look for the dynamic and identify it and articulate it and ask, we'll get so much more information back. So if I ask my client you know, or the other agent on the other side, is a 30 day close okay for you? That's quick, I'm, I'm triaging, I just need to know. I need to get to the yes, is this gonna make the deal? Yes or no? Instead, if I say, it seems like your client would like, would prefer a quick close, I'm engaging them in a way that, and I, and I need to be aware of my tone there. It seems like your client would like a quick close? I'm engaging them in a way that implies I need more information. And so um, we tell our clients here at the Black Swan Group to start small. So for all the agents listening on this call, you know, this is scary. This is uncomfortable. Start at Starbucks. Don't start with that deal that you want. Start with the barista. You know, it sounds like you're having a rough day today. And just listen. And then when he or she tells you how they're feeling, label what they tell you, and just see what kind of information you get back. You're going to be astounded at, by, the, by the information that you get. Then start using it at your open houses. Um, start small, and then it's, they work. And here's, here's what I wanted to throw in on top of that with the asking label. The power, <clears throat> excuse me, the power in the asking label is that it, doesn't provoke the same defensive responses that a direct question does. There's a full third of the population that hates direct questions. You want to shut them down, you start peppering them with questions, and you're going to be well on your way to having them close off to you. They feel like they're being interrogated. They feel like they're being pumped for information. So it doesn't take, it's not a heavy lift for you to take whatever, what, when, why, where, how question, turn it on its ear and make it a label. Instead of asking your counterpart agent, why haven't you signed, why haven't they signed the contract yet? The shift would be it seems like there's a pretty good reason as to why they haven't signed yet. It carries an entirely different tone because going back to what she said earlier, this is one of the most emotional transactions that take place in anyone's life. It's replete with negative emotions. Negative emotions impede people's cognitive ability. The more you allow those negative emotions and dynamics to persist, the dumber you're allowing your counterpart to remain. And all of us, regardless of what the conversation is about, we want 
the person on the other side to be as cognitively nimble as possible. So we're doing, we're going, we're working overtime to mitigate those negatives. And part of that process is let's change those direct questions into asking labels. And you'll be amazed at how much more information you get when you ask a question in a label form. And it's not, all you have to do is think of the label. It looks like it seems like it sounds like, and then upward inflect at the end that turns it into a question and you're going to get a more candid and robust response from the other side. Sorry, Marcel. No, I think you actually, you, you brought up a fantastic point. Um, in, Unfortunately, in our industry, there are agents that are under a, a significant amount of pressure and are trained to be assertive. That's how you make deals. You got to get in there. You got to, you know, just, you know, best and final, best and final. I'm not going to answer the phone, whatever it might be. Just get it done. If we address the underlying dynamic, we will, we are invoking reciprocity there it is catching them off guard they're being dealt with differently than they've ever expected or they're used to you're going to get responses and it might be guarded at first but if you continue to use these skills we have a 93 percent success rate in hostage negotiations in life or death scenarios for a reason this transition into the private sector is showing similar success rates because they work because it's based in human nature. And so, um, you know, the power of reciprocity goes a long way and just, just showing some tactical empathy is, is, um, it, it is, it's amazing. With a mirror, you're repeating back the last one to three words. You want to be careful, not go more than five, because if you're getting up there in numbers, you're looking more at a paraphrase and it's no longer become, it's no longer a mirror. So it can be from anywhere in the conversation, but this does take practice. If you're listening to someone and they're going on for, you know, three, four sentences and you hear something that you want more information about, you mirror that specific thing. Okay. It's not an issue. It doesn't break someone's train of thought because they already brought it up. So they, they already have it in their mind. What you're doing is if they're giving you three or four different issues and there's one particular one you want to talk about, you go that direction with your mirror. And that's a way that you can kind of control the conversation um, and get the information that you want. You want to use labels and mirrors and get as much information as possible from the other side while giving as little information as possible away about yourself. That's the best way to practice. It's also not mirroring body language. Now, I don't discount any body language. It has its place. And I'm pretty sure Troy's going to bring up my coffee drink in here in a second. But um, if someone that you're talking to rubs their nose like this, a lot of times you'll rub your nose because somewhere in your brain, your brain says, why are they rubbing their nose? Do I have something on my face? Um, or they do something with their ear. So you'll, you'll do something with your ear. A lot of times it's unconscious. Okay. It's a very unconscious thing that people do. Um, but we're not really talking about mirroring body language because in the world that we came from, we were on the phone with people. So we weren't able to really see body language. So it's not that we don't put any stock in body language. It can be extremely important. It's just not the most important thing. And we're not talking about mirroring body language. So we're not telling you if someone crosses their arms, you cross their arms, you cross your arms. We're not telling you to mirror that body language. Um, it can be kind of fun to kind of mess with it though, because 
a lot of times if you do something, people will see it and they'll do it also. What the, what were you talking, who was the talker? I was the talker. What was your passion? Skiing. Skiing, awesome. Did he label and mirror? He labeled a lot. Labeled a lot? Yep. Did he mirror? Yes, once or twice. Okay, mostly labels, cool. Mostly labels. Did, did he come out of the labels? Did he ever Dave, do anything wrong? Um, there was one time where I think you said it feels like um, that kind of that kind of tripped me up in like the, in the pattern there. Uh, but for the most part, it was it was pretty solid and you know got me off the X, if you will. How was it for you? Felt very natural. You know, I, I didn't feel like anything. I didn't feel like it was artificial. Ah, awesome. Okay. And all right, so the labeling and mirroring, I don't know how much practice, how much ha opportunity you've had, a, ha, had to practice up to now. I don't know how many reps you've gotten in. I get a sense from what you were telling me before. You've been applying a book, so you've probably been labeling and mirroring some. Yeah, that's accurate. How was this act? How was the exercise? Oh, it was good. It really felt like a natural flow of a conversation with, you know, somebody tells you something about themselves, and then suddenly he's off and running into way different. It's not about skiing. It's not at all about skiing. What did it become? Uh, well, if I go to the deep dive, right, uh, he's trying to develop that camaraderie he developed through skiing that he didn't get from team sports, where he could be individual, but he could be with friends, where he developed lifelong relationships. And now he's at a point in his life where that's once a year, he wants to be able to develop that in a community he lives in. Okay, now how long were we, were, thank you, how long were, were we in the exercise, roughly? Three minutes, maybe. Now, based on what you just heard about these two gentlemen, this gentleman right here, how many of his core values as a human being and as a, and as a businessman do you know? Lifelong relationships, camaraderie, team player, a critical part of his life. You know, so these quickly uncover issues in very short periods of time that, I don't, that drive relationships, which means friendships, and business relationships, yes? And, you know, I was, uh, I, did, I did a keynote with uh, the Apollo Private Equity Group just a couple of days ago here in town. And they were like, well, can't you still go play golf? So, and I said, all right, so you guys go play golf together for what? To find out what we just found out in the last three minutes. Only instead of being on a golf course for eight hours, it took three minutes here. So this is why, and some of you are discovering this already, this is why your professions accelerate. You begin to dial into people very quickly. And you create a great relationship between the two of you, and it takes three minutes. And I can tell you something, that every single time that Brandon and Derek do the exercise in front of the group, I learn more about Derek. And I've known Derek since 2001. Is that when we first met, probably, roughly? And I'm, and I'm learning more about them every time. Thank goodness Brandon is good at this stuff. Huh? So this is how it's applied. And, we, and those of you who are still getting your reps in to get over your awkwardness, you heard a gentleman here describe what it was like to be labeled in an environment where he knows he's being labeled in an exercise, in a room, at a seminar. And he said it was natural, it was comfortable, it was fine. If you have any misgivings about these skills at all, this environment should tell you when your counterpart is completely good with it and they know you're using techniques on them. 
you will never encounter some a person that you're talking to that's more aware of the fact that techniques are being deployed on them in a the moment and everybody here is okay with it. So it's not that you're using a technique, it's what your objective is to create a better relationship. You should never be concerned about whether or not they don't like the techniques. If somebody on the other side doesn't like the techniques, it's not because the techniques have shortcomings, it's telling you that there's a pretty good chance this is someone you don't want to do business with. If someone is openly telling you they do not want to collaborate with you, what are they telling you? If I'm communicating to you, I don't want you to know about me. I Back don't here, want you we, we had a comment, they don't trust you. They don't trust you. Yeah. All right, so there's an interesting, interesting thing, too. Now, if they don't want you to know these things, now your further diagnosis is, is uncover what the trust issues are. Now, maybe you're never going to get past, past it, but that's, that's a great observation. It's a trust issue, and, and, and the, the flip side of that might be that once this person trusts me, they trust so fully and so completely, that's why they're so defensive. So how long is, how hard is it going to be to get on the other side of that wall? Okay. Sandy, we do, we have a couple of questions come up. Do we want to go back to the label questions? Sure, they have label questions, sure. Okay. So um, one question is from um, Ivan. I'm not sure, I hope that's right. Um, so she's asking, can you use it when negotiating promotion? So she said, for example, seems like you do not feel like I'm ready for the promotion or seems like you would prefer this person get a promotion and not me. So she's wondering what the best way to use that would be without being pushy. Um, I think both of those labels are appropriate. Um, labels can be used in any situation just about okay as long as you're using a good label and you're not labeling something that's going to come across as you know rude or purposely to make someone defensive i think you're going to be fine every personality type every negotiator personality type responds well to labels okay all three of the types Accommodator, assertive, analyst, all of them like labels. So no matter who you're dealing with on the other side of the table, a label will be fine. Just monitor your tone of voice. Make sure you put it out there very, you know, matter of factly, especially with the, what was the first label again? Seems like. Seems like, let's see. Seems like you do not feel like I'm ready for the promotion. Right. So soften that up just a hair and say, seems like um, there may be a feeling that I'm not ready for this promotion. That way you're not singling out that one person that you're talking to. And instead of saying, it seems like you don't feel like I'm ready for this, it seems like there may be a feeling that I'm not ready for this. That way you're, you're not pointing specifically at that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would just, um, if I can add something real quick, yeah, Sandy, um, for example, if you're wanting, if you're wondering like, why am I not being promoted? Right. You can use a label to try to understand that, that as well. Right. Like, um, seems like there's something impeding this promotion. Seems like there's something, right? Like there's some kind of obstacle. So you can address that and then you'll get to the bottom of maybe why you're not getting the promotion in the first place. One more question. Sorry, that fluffed. Okay. Um, so um, there's one, what if you're clearly being disrespected? So like if someone's like staring at your chest, for example, instead of talking to you in your actual eyes, face. Um, she said, for an example, seems like you're being a pig. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> is that a bit harsh? Yeah, that, that's a bit harsh. Um, you want to point it out, but you don't want to point it out by by actually calling them a name. So what might be better is it's, it seems like something in our conversation is distracting you. And in other words, I know that you're distracted by this and you shouldn't be distracted by this. So I'm going to point out that I know you're distracted and maybe that'll bring your eyes up where they're supposed to be. So remember, you're not just actually labeling um, <laughs> how you feel about them. You're labeling the dynamics of the situation. So if you have someone that's constantly looking at your chest, you can say, it seems like you may be a little distracted because then when you're looking right at them and they look at you and they, they know they've just looked up, they're going to be like, oh, <laughs> you know, caught red handed. So, um, and you might even follow that up with another label saying, you know, it looks like we need to kind of regroup and get back on track and, you know, do it that way. But be careful being quite so blunt and honest. <laughs> um, look for more of the, the situation that's happening there and kind of label that. They know what they're doing. Okay, that pig knows what he's doing. He knows he's looking at your chest. He's not stupid. He knows he's looking at your chest. So when you say, seems like you may be a little distracted and you're looking right at him with a question mark, like, are you distracted? <laughs> and he's gonna look up and realize that he just got snagged. Okay, so you wanna point it out, but you don't want to, and, and this is the problem that some women face. When you speak up for yourself, you're automatically categorized as, as an assertive bitch. And you shouldn't be. So using the labels in a more subtle way will break away from that. And keep in mind, using labels is cumulative. In other words, it's not a one and done skill. Sometimes you have to do it three or four times to get an idea across. But if you stay in the proper mindset, if you stay curious about why are they acting the way they're acting, and it may be because they're a pig, but you don't necessarily want to point the finger at that right away. Um, they're that way because that's the way they feel like they can act somehow or another through their life somewhere. Someone has given them the permission and told them that it's okay to do that. You don't have to put up with that. You can call them on that. You can say, seems like you're finding something else more fascinating. And I mean, look down, like, you know, where they're looking and you don't have to point out and say, stop looking at my breasts, you know, and be obvious about it. But you can basically put out there, you know, it, seems like you're you're too busy focusing somewhere else looks like we need to refocus on what we're doing and just be a little more subtle about it do it with a smile on your face stay in that accommodator voice because and it's not threatening to them and you're not going seems like you're too busy looking at my breast you know because then they're going to get defensive and when they get defensive you're automatically a bitch in their eyes even when you've done absolutely nothing wrong so the way yeah, you I mean, go oh, ahead sorry, no go ahead no, yeah, I mean, to that point where it's like, okay, I, you know, hate the idea that like, we always have to be smiling or whatever, right? Ultimately, it's, it's just when you're at attacking someone. So if like, you're essentially calling that person a name, it's just always going to be counterproductive. Does that person deserve it? Sure. That's not what we're talking about, right? Of course they do. But the problem is, it's like, if I want to have a working relationship with this person, if it's going to be more beneficial for me in the long run, which most of the time it is, then I need to understand how to actually make this productive. And so calling out behavior rather than name calling is going to be the more productive route. Absolutely. Um, and then um, Dion had a question, which is how is it bad to come across as bitchy? Bitchy. 
I'm not going to say that it's never okay to be bitchy because I, I mean, you know, I'm bitchy a lot. I'm just going to be honest with you. It, it just has to be done in an appropriate place in an appropriate way. And when you're in a business negotiation situation or dealing with something at work, you can regulate yourself. You can control yourself and how you act and what you say. You cannot control the other side and what they do. However, you can have an influence on them by the way you use your tone of voice, by the way you hold yourself, and by the way you project yourself. So if you are dealing with someone on the other side of the table who is assertive, if you go at them assertive, which pretty much is bitchy, clash, and you're not going to be able to work it out. Okay. The best way is to go to tactical empathy first, you know, figure out why they're acting like they are. And most of the time it's just because they're being a jerk. Um, so you have that and you understand that. So when you understand that it's going to help you center yourself a little bit more, not react to that piggish behavior and instead label that behavior and try to divert it a little bit. Okay. If you unmute and, and fire away at Sandy, how much? Hey, Sandy. Thank you, uh, Chris and Shay and Kayla, for having us today. Um, I am wondering if you can shed some light, Sandy, on as a, a woman in the workplace, I found that a lot of times if there's a tough situation and um, your tone stays good, but you're still dealing with in a in a tough manner, that uh, as a woman you can come across and really be labeled as being bitchy. Right. Um, instead of just tough where a guy with the same tone in the same situation would just be, you know, everybody would just say, Hey, he did a great job. You know, he took authority or whatever. And I'm just wondering if you have any recommendations on, um, how to avoid that label and, and, um, still come across well. Yeah, that's a great question. And I actually hear this quite often. Um, women say something that when it comes out of their mouths, for whatever reason, it seems more assertive. But when a man says it, it seems to be taken okay. Um, if you're controlling your tone, which it sounds like um, you're doing a good job of controlling the tone, a lot of times it's the structure that you're using. With the skill that you're using, make sure you're using the right structure. So if you're using um, a label, if you're trying to find out information instead of asking a direct question, use that label with a nice tone. It might get you a little bit further. If you're having the overall problem, say in a meeting or in a negotiation or in a tough conversation, try using an accusations audit first and mitigate that negative. You can say, um, you're probably gonna think what I'm saying is very assertive. Pause for a few seconds and then say what you're gonna say. Because if you put out there, they may think you're being assertive you're demonstrating that you understand that they have that thought process going on in their mind. And when you do that, you mitigate it, you clear it from their mind. So um, they can't come back in a few minutes and say, you're being too assertive or you're being bitchy because you pretty much told them up front, you thought they were going to think that anyway. So it mitigates that thought, keeps them from using that against you later in the conversation. So um, a lot of women that I've spoken with have had this issue. And when I suggested to use the accusations audit before they speak, um, it actually gave them a little bit of a leg up and they found that people were not considering them quite as assertive because they were putting it out there first. Thank you, that was really helpful. I do have one other question if it's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, 
what is your biggest recommendation for helping with times when you have tone issues? Okay, tone tone is something that you deal with from the day you're born, I think. I remember when I was younger, my mom saying, watch your tone of voice. And, and I would think, I don't have a tone. And when I look back on it now, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I so had a tone. When I was that teenager, I definitely had a tone. So trying to get a hold of your tone of voice is something that takes a little bit of practice, especially if you're trying to go into that late night FM DJ voice, especially if you've listened to Chris do the voice on the masterclass, because the tone of Chris's voice, when he goes down to the late night FM DJ voice, it has a whispery quality to it. And as a woman, you want to avoid that whispery quality. Um, it, it sends the wrong message. So instead, what you need to concentrate on is kind of practicing with your diaphragm. And especially when you're in a stressful situation, because if you're if you sit up straight and you elongate your diaphragm and you tilt your chin up just a little bit, your voice tends to get a little bit higher. And I'm doing it right now as we talk, if you can tell your voice gets a little bit higher. So when you want to go down into that late night FM DJ voice, you want to shrink down into your stomach a little bit and lower your chin and your voice is naturally going to drop a few octaves. And if you notice, that's what I just did. So to get into that late night FM DJ voice, drop your chin, let your, your body fall down relaxed, and then slow down your rate of speech. And that's the way you're actually going to get to the late night FM DJ voice. That is an appropriate place for women to be with it. Now, um, if while you're doing this late night FM DJ voice, you get triggered a little bit, you just have to remember to maybe tighten your core because if you tighten your core, your abdominal muscles, it'll keep you hunched forward just a little bit, which will help you control that tone and keep it down in a lower octave. Real estate is the investment vehicle that's made more ordinary people wealthy than anything else. Keith Weinhold of Get Rich Education is host of one of America's top investing shows, Disrupting Wall Street. He's an international best-selling author and has been an active income property investor since 2002. He has created thousands in passive monthly income for countless followers. Now he has a free book, The Seven Principles for Creating Wealth in Your Life. Get your copy now at GetRichEducation.com forward slash book. That's GetRichEducation.com forward slash book. Because invest in what produces income for you now and later. Keith Weinhold is your guy. Sign up now at GetRichEducation.com forward slash book. You're listening to the show that's created financial freedom for busy people just like you. This is Get Rich Education. I'm your host, Keith Weinhold. We're talking with Chris Voss, the author of the mega popular book, Never Split the Difference. We're talking about negotiation since that's such a critical part of real estate investing. And there are certain techniques in negotiations that some might want to employ. These even have names because they're so well-known. Chris, I know you like to employ the technique of mirroring. So tell us about mirroring. What is that and how does that give one an advantage? Yeah, the hostage negotiator's mirror, the business negotiator's mirror, the black swan negotiator's mirror. You know, it's not, not the body language thing that everybody's familiar with. You know, it's not they put their hand to their chin, you put your hand to their chin, you know, they lean to the left, you lean to the left. It's not a body language nonsense. It's a repetition of one to three-ish words. You teach yourself the skill repeating the last one to three words of what they just said. When you have done that enough times, yeah, then you move it around. You get surgical with your mirror. You mirror what you want to hear more about. It's a great skill that does two things simultaneously. It gets the other side talking. Gets him to expand. It's much better than what did you mean by that? Much better. 
you get a much cleaner download of their actual thoughts. It's also a great skill when you are caught off guard. Like they just said something that just make so doesn't make sense that your brain has just stopped. If you practice the mirror, it's a great way to buy yourself a whole bunch of time to get your feet back under you. The other side doesn't know you did it because they feel like you're really listening and they want to talk some more. The funny thing about the mirror that I have found really interesting is the few people that are both high IQ and high EQ, and I'm not high IQ. And EQ is learnable. I believe, you know, I work very hard at my EQ. But the natural born high IQ, high EQ people love mirrors. I think it's because it's so simple and it's so effective. And that type of person loves simplicity and effectiveness combined into one. And and I've seen consistently the smartest negotiators, very high IQ people love to mirror all the time, which I get a kick out of because, you know, I don't, (laughs) I just do it because I was taught that it worked. I didn't, wasn't that quickly attracted to it till I see really smart people. So I pretend I'm really smart by doing it. All right, so we're talking about EQ, emotional intelligence, and the technique of mirroring that you use in negotiation. So, for example, if you've got the $500,000 fourplex building you're looking to sell, I want to buy it, say I'm interested in price, I might try to break you down and say something like, well, it looks like the roof only has five years of life expectancy left on it. What would you say? All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm selling. And you're questioning the roof and you want me to mirror? Yeah. Well, I would say five years of life expectancy. Yeah, I'm afraid in five years, that's going to wipe out my cash flow for an entire year when I have to replace that roof. For an entire year. Yeah, an entire year of my cash flow, just five years away. So since it's a 30-year roof, can't you share in the expense with me? Share in the expense? Yeah, share in the expense of the roof that you haven't replaced. Sounds like if we work that out, all the other terms work for you? Maybe they would, depending on what we agree to on the new roof and how much we're going to share in this expense that I'd be burdened with if I buy the building. So you're not worried about how much I'm burdened? You're burdened? Uh, now you're trying to mirror me back. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? You did something interesting there when you mirrored me a few times, Chris. You got me to say something I didn't plan to say. Maybe you thought that I wanted the entire roof replaced, but after a couple of questions, you got me to use the word share. You actually got me down to where now you knew that I was willing to share in the cost of that new roof. And then you knew I wasn't asking you to replace the entire thing. So you actually did manipulate me. Manipulation is probably not the right word, but you did get me to concede 
when you mirrored me a couple times. And the only reason I mirrored you is because you, you told me about the technique. So that was really great how you got let, me. Let me, stop, let me stop you for just a second, too, because, all right, so my observation of your tone was that you didn't feel backed into a corner. Have I got that wrong? You're right. I was being kind of aggressive and going for something. But what I was trying to do is, you see, the dynamic was we got in, we got into a sharing conversation without counteroffers, without argument, without anybody getting upset. You know, I'm creating a collaborative environment here so that I can get you into this idea without you feeling like you got backed into a corner or drug into it. That's what I'm really trying to do. I'm trying to expand the conversation. What we would have seen before is bargaining, offer, counteroffer, accusations, all this kind of stuff, meet in the middle, all this other nonsense. I'm trying to take the conversation into an area that's collaborative, but you not feeling backed into the corner. Because if I cause you to feel backed into a corner by taking you there, even if I come out on top, quote, on top in this point, you're going to want to get me back elsewhere. And the fear of loss that you talked about before, we got to get people back at least at a two to one rate of return to feel even. Danny Kahneman, Nobel Prize winner, behavioral economics, prospect theory, lost things twice as much as an equivalent gain. So if I get you to make a $5,000 concession, you're not going to feel whole until you've got me for 10 someplace else on the two to one feeling of loss. Interesting. That's the hard part about bargaining and conceding was because we're human beings. It will never feel equitable and it causes a downward spiral. I want to stay out of that. I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to trigger enough that's going to get triggered by accident. If we got to get into a back and forth exchange, now I got to worry about how much resentment am I going to trigger where you're going to pay me back, which is maybe you don't pay me back on price. Maybe on, uh, something comes up in its inspection nobody foresaw. Uh, maybe something's wrong with the property nobody foresaw. Maybe, you know, there no real estate transaction. Just because you got a signed contract, does that mean you're going to close? You know that in each culture is different. Now that we have one of our members that it's from London, it's, it's different. They make jokes and sometimes for us it's di difficult to understand those jokes. Mm -hmm. You know, because for them are really funny and for us it, they may sound a bit rude. So right. I, I would like to know, like, how do you... How does this work on on culture and language and countries and right? So this is taught in hostage negotiation around the world. So these skills work no matter what culture you're in, no matter what language you're speaking. I will will add a caveat to that because sometimes when you're in a different language the wording might not translate exactly the same. So you have to work a little bit to make sure that you're conveying the same message that we're saying in English. Um, I know I, I worked with a Canadian one time who was French speaking and he had a hard time with some of this stuff because of the way the labels sounded when you said them in French. So we had to kind of come up with a little workaround for him and he was able to do it just fine. But hostage negotiators all over the world use this stuff 
with great success. They use it on anybody. And the reason why it works that way is because we're dealing with human behavior and emotions. So it's the human nature response that we're speaking to when we use these, these skills. So if you are coming across the right way, if you are coming across with the proper tone of voice and um, you're using the skills as we describe them to you, you shouldn't have an issue with it. Now, there are some things, um, and when we get to accusation audit, you'll see what I'm saying, but you do a list of accusations audit at the beginning of a conversation. Yeah, I mean, to Sandy's point of um, being able to kind of stop inappropriate jokes, right? Whether that's gender bias, because I saw that in the chat, they said too. Um, whether they're gender bias jokes, um, inappropriate cultural jokes, right? That And that people think are okay, right? Um, that's kind of why this label is great. You can use it for several different things, right? If someone's making a joke, an inappropriate joke about your culture, you can say, it seems like you think it's okay to joke in that way, right? Or um, it seems like you thought that that was an appropriate joke to use with me, right? And it, it gets them to stop and then they have to report for their behavior, essentially. One that works a lot too is my favorite go-to label, seems like you have a reason for it. So you can go with, seems like you have a reason for thinking that. Seems like you have a reason for saying that. Seems like you have a reason for feeling that way. Or if someone asks you a question that you're not really sure you want to answer, because people do ask lousy questions, um, and you want to make sure you know where this is going before you give an answer, you can say, it seems like you have a reason for asking that. Then they'll explain to you why they're asking, and then you'll know exactly where to go, and it'll save you time in the long run. But that seems like you have a reason for label also works with the inappropriate behavior, especially when you're just kind of creating the thought pattern interrupt. Because if you say to someone, if they've said something off color or inappropriate to you, or tried to take the conversation in a direction you don't want it to go, and you say, seems like you have a reason for saying that. And you just go silent and then let them think about what they just said. And I've had this happen before where they realize it and then they say, oh, I'm so sorry. And then they realize how they've kind of stepped over a line and they will back off of it. And it's better for them to get the hint from you and back off of it so that you don't have to go to that very assertive, pushy label, you know, like when you completely address the behavior. It, it, it seems like you think it's okay to call me that or to refer to me that way because that's more assertive. So this seems like you have a reason for it is a great one to kind of fall on in almost any situation. Um, because you just put that verb in there, looking, feeling, saying, whatever it is, and it'll work with that label. So is there anything in the chat that we need to address? Oh, I think um, we're just we're just chatting in the chat, so. Okay, <laughs> it's great. It's where that great. chatting is supposed to happen. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, so we have labels. We've talked about labels, how you use them, but why? Okay, why labels? Why are they one of the fabulous five for us? Um, they play to our intuitive strength. Women are really good at picking up on the underlying dynamics of a conversation. You're much better at discerning the why behind. Part of that is because women are good listeners. So you can listen and you can get sometimes a double meaning from things. And this is why women sometimes when you're in a conversation, you know when it starts going off the rails sooner than other people in the room because you're able to see those dynamics and how things are going. And, you know, I blame some of that for how women have been treated all through the years, but um, you, see, you see when the car starts going down the wrong road, 
Okay. And, oh, that's that's a horrible thing to say because don't we always yell about men for never asking directions? <laughs> and I just like use that. It almost sounded like a pun. But you just have an ability as a woman to observe and get the feeling for those dynamics that are underneath the situation that's happening. So that's why labels really do play to us because we can label that dynamic that someone else in the room might not be able to see. This also allows you when you use a label to take that deep dive. Okay, you can deep dive down into someone's someone's psyche some and, and it doesn't feel as intrusive. So this allows some space in the conversation that keeps the other side at ease. And um Davey, if you want to speak to that because yeah, um, because here's the thing, labels, anytime you have a question in your mind, you can turn it into a label. Um, and that's kind of what we recommend doing, actually, is uh, because a lot of people can feel threatened by questions. And um, they feel like, oh, you're interrogating me. Like, have you ever gotten that, right? Like, oh, are you, am I in an interrogation? You're like, no, that's called a conversation. Um, but the thing is you can just do label, you can label instead. And, um, that's a really great way of no one's going to be like, oh, I want an interrogation. Um, just turn it into a label. So let's say that you were thinking, okay, I, I really want to know more about, um, where this is, where this person is at with the deal. Right. So you're thinking, okay, I want to ask them, um, like, okay, how long do you think it's going to take to talk to your team about this, right? You can say, um, it seems like there's kind of a process to talk to your team about this. Like it might take a couple of weeks. And then they end up telling you everything that you wanted to know. But, exactly. they're, but they're still at ease because you're not asking them a question. And this um, does speak to being able to get information from the other side without feeling like one, you're interrogating them two you come across as threatening or three, you come across with that, with that mom feeling, you know what I mean? That like your mother, why did you do this? Where are you going? What's up? You know what I mean? So you don't want people to feel that from you. So you can get information by using a label instead of a question, which is how we gather the information, just like Davey said, and you don't come across as threatening in any way because let's face it, powerful women do come off as threatening sometimes. And it's not a good way to be because when you come off as threatening, it really turns off the other side. Because one of the main things that helps our skills work is being likable. Coming off likable, one of the ways you do that is by avoiding direct questioning and using labels to gather information so that you do come across less threatening. Guys, we're talking about mirrors today. Jedi mind trick. The last one to three words are the important one to three words. Listen to these examples to see how crazy it is that this stuff works. The, the quickest, easiest, simple bailout skill that will never fail you, never, 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 never fail you. Especially when you're thrown off, when you're off track, when you've lost your emotional bearing. Mirrors are there for you. They work with the least amount of brain power. That's why they will, they're always there for you. So we're, we're preparing for one of these trainings in a very early day. No, it wasn't one of these trainings, but it was our training in our very early days. Yeah, corporate training. 
and we're supposed to put together notebooks. Actually, we're supposed to put together three ring binders, but in my head, those terms are synonymous. And he's putting this stuff together, and I ask him if he's got the notebooks ready. And, and he knows we're supposed to be putting three ring binders, and I'm saying notebooks, he doesn't know what's, what's in my head, actually. You know, are you thinking something like this when I say notebooks? You know, yeah, who knows? Basically. But, you know, this could be, a no this is not a three-ring binder, is it? This is not a three-ring binder. I don't know. I don't know what's the matter with him. I don't know why he can't read my mind. But anyway, so I say, are the notebooks ready? And he goes, what do you mean by notebooks? So what do I say? Goddamn notebooks. Yeah, exactly. Goddamn notebooks, right? <laughs> you say, it's much clearer then, right? Because the word notebook is so self-explanatory that if you don't understand exactly what I mean because I choose my words so well, then you're an idiot. It's the same way I ask for directions when I'm in Paris. What do you mean you don't know where the Eiffel Tower? Where's the Eiffel Tower? You know, I only say it again louder. So he mirrors me. He goes, notebooks? I go, yeah, three ring binders. And you know, that's why the mirrors are the great bell you out of the corner tool. Somebody's not on the right on the same sheet of music. It's either you or it's them. A quick mirror always causes, always, 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 always causes people to restate it in another way. It's especially effective with assertives, because we figure if you're unclear, we just need to talk more. This is Chris again. Hey, listen, I, I got a, a couple of questions I need to ask you. We've uh, we've got a van out here, a blue and gray van. Um, we've been able to get a handle on the owners of all the vehicles out here, except this one in particular. Do you know anything about it? Well, other vehicles not out there because you guys chased my driver away. We chased your driver away? Well, when he seen the police, he cut. This mirror tool, one of the negotiation techniques, you know, from the FBI eight, you know, there are eight specific techniques that we used in hostage negotiation. Um, the mirror tool is one of those ways to innocuously get them to either repeat it or expand on it. Get them to either repeat it or expand on it? Right. Is that what you, is that what you just said? Right. Did I, did I just do it? It, 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 you know what? You did. It was perfect. Okay. See, and I didn't even notice it. I was just telling you to use it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I don't know if you felt awkward when you did that because you did it intentionally, but I had no idea that you did it until you told me you did it. Wow. It was awkward. It was definitely awkward. It felt, you know, contrived. But you didn't pick it. You didn't, you didn't feel that at all. No. I mean, you, okay. you blew that one by me. You blew it right by me. I hope you got the idea. Mirrors are simple. The last one to three words are the important one to three words. Make a whole day a mirror day. They're easy. Practice them. Get your repetitions in. They're simple. They're a Jedi mind trick. Enjoy using mirrors.